Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 127 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Kevin Harris, and he comes to us from our friends over at Interview Valet. Kevin is president of Radical Mentoring, which is an intentional small group mentoring process to help church pastors engage men, build a core group of leaders, and transform their churches. Kevin is very passionate about being a resource for church leaders that have incorporated small group mentoring into their disciple-making strategy. Now, you may hear that and think, well, this isn't a podcast episode for me. Uh, I'm more into building an organization than a church group, and it sounds like Kevin is very much niched into church groups. And on some levels, you may actually be right on that. But what I would say is, and Kevin and I talk about that in this podcast, just because he is niched into helping churches build their mentoring programs doesn't mean the advice that he's giving here isn't beneficial for your group because it is. So the strategies that he employs here with his church groups will work for your organization in developing your own uh, mentoring and coaching practices. So I would encourage you to not just go ahead and move on right now. Stick around. Uh, Kevin shares some great advice. We have some great discussion around building these mentoring programs, and I think it's going to be extremely valuable for you. So much so that I'm going to go ahead and shut up, get out of the way, let the stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Kevin Harris. Kevin, thanks for being with us today. Earl, thank you so much for having me. This is, uh, it's always fun to meet a new friend and have a great conversation. Oh, I love it. That's one of the things I love about being from the South, right? My my wife, it drives her a little bit batty, but she's like, you've never met a stranger, have you? I'm like, nope. <laughs> so That's, uh, yeah, a lot of waves and hellos and how you doing? And I love it, man. This yeah. is great. It's good to have another tennis uh, friend from near Tennessee as well. That's always fun. There you go. There you go. Well, let me get you started here where I start everybody else. I'm really excited to hear your answer to this question. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Gosh, Earl, uh, you sent this in advance and I've had a little bit of time to think it through. You know, I, I think for me, when I think about the burden of command, to me, it's a picture of um, really stewardship in a lot of ways. It's the idea that um, as a leader, I think Andy Stanley said this at one point, you're really stewarding the time and talents and resources of the people around you and understanding that, um, you know, command is not a, um, 
is not really a top-down idea. It's sometimes it's really about wrapping your arms around the people around you and 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 pushing everybody together towards a towards a shared goal. And to me, I think that's the way I would think about the answer to that question around burden of command. No, I like it because I mean it's it's there's a lot of truth to that there and. Um, you know, I like the Andy Stanley reference there because, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, as popular as he is, I also think he's somewhat of a, of an underrated author to boot. He's got some good messaging in there, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He is, um, he's one of the most gifted communicators I've ever listened to and, or had the chance to meet on a, on a few occasions. And he is, he's got a great leadership podcast and a lot of people kind of put Andy in that bucket of pastor, but his uh, Andy Stanley leadership podcast is so rich with leadership principles that really you can wrap your arms around all industries and um, kind of all vertical markets. It's, it's really, really powerful. So I would highly recommend that one. Not above the burden of command, by the way, as an addition to the burden of command. <laughs> oh, thanks for that clarification there. I was starting to feel a little uh, downtrodden no, for a second. No, uh, no, you got him. You got him. <laughs> Well, no. So, uh, but I mean, I think that's a great point there, right? So, you know, folks heard in the pre-roll bio there, but you you have uh, a great association and, and a great uh, affiliation with uh, Christianity and, and the church, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, and I, I, sometimes that can, gosh, I know, especially in 2021, where we are now, that can sometimes be a, a, um, a stall for some people. But I, I do just believe the principles of, of Jesus. I mean, I think a lot of people have said recently and even in years past, you know, I, I don't really like the Christians, but I love your Jesus. Um, and I do think Jesus has some incredible leadership principles that I think for those of us in positions of leadership or those of us that are aspiring to those positions, just provides a great model of how to, uh, of how to really build a tribe of people behind you with a shared vision or shared message. And my goodness, there's I wish I knew the exact numbers, but there's a lot of people today that are, are following Jesus from a, a group of a group of 12 from a, a long, long time ago. So I, I believe he provides a great model for leadership for all of us. Yeah, no, I'll agree. That's what I tell folks. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care if you're a Christian or an atheist or whatever. The Bible, even if you just read it as a leadership book, it's still a very valuable book to read. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So before we get into some of that, because I know some of the stuff that you do, uh, as listeners have probably figured out, is very, very much based around those, those teachings and, and those principles in the Bible. But uh, I think, you know, I'm always one of those people that likes to start in the beginning. Um, and your journey that you're on right now, if I understand right, its origins kind of started somewhere around 2002, right? You got it. Yeah. So... Um, and I may rewind the tape a little bit more, like not back to the when I was born beginning of it all. But, you know, I sort of look back on my own story and I think it's important for I think another thing that's really important for leaders is a, is a side note is to be really comfortable with sharing your own story, the good, the bad, the ugly, because what it does is it does in many ways it humanizes you to so the people that are following you. They, they can begin to look at you and understand that. You know, you're not just the, you know, the buttoned up guy in the suit in the corner, that you're, you're a real person who's had real challenges. And I think that's a, to me, that's one of the best leadership principles I know is just to, the idea of humility. But side note on that, um, 
if I rewind my tape back to uh, when I was a, a junior in high school, um, my life took, took a really tragic turn and I lost my dad. He was in an automobile accident. And it was one of those moments where, you know, you go to bed at night and things are normal and then you wake up three hours later and you recognize the trajectory of your world has changed so much because you lost your dad. And, um, and so for me, while yeah, it was a really tragic story and there's not, you know, there's still a many, many moments, uh, almost gosh, I'm 46 now, however many years down the road that is, there's still many moments where I, I wish I had a, I could pick up the phone and call my dad and ask him a question. But the reality of that situation did put me on a journey, um, I think to where I am today. And I think it, what it's allowed me to do is have a story that I can share, that I can process out loud with folks, that I can relate to people. Because I think we all have got some level of, of wounding that has happened from our fathers. Uh, sometimes our dads were the best in the world. Sometimes they were the worst. Sometimes they were, most often they were in between somewhere. But for me, that moment put me on a journey to find um, uh, my my best friend and a guy named Reggie Campbell, who uh, started our our organization, which is called Radical Mentoring. When I met him in 2002, I was a young, 25 uh, year old, newly married, ready to take on the world um, kind of a guy. And Reggie was a very successful entrepreneurial business guy. Had a fantastic resume. Had a um, ha had what many in the world would look at from a distance and think, yeah, if there's a guy that's got it all, this is the guy. And what he really did for me and 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 a group of other guys was was really the launch of what has now become Radical Mentoring. But he just kind of invited us into his home. Um, we spent a really intentional year together, uh, just learning about our stories, learning about faith, learning about other real you know, business principles, learning about how to be a better version of ourselves in our marriage and as a parent. And we had just a real intentional journey together. And out of that, I had a group of really, really great friendships I developed, but I also developed a great relationship with, um, with Reggie, who, uh, who passed away about a year and a half ago, but who uh, just spoke more truth into my life than, um, and, and filled a gap for me that I'd I really needed after after losing my dad early on. And so that journey in 2002 was not what brought me into the career that I'm in today. Uh, but what it did is it created some really strong anchors and principles that were really important to me as a young leader. And then what happened over time is, is my business career changed and went a lot of different directions. Uh, my friendship with Reggie ultimately um, turned into an opportunity to help help join him and lead this organization and, and really try to get some of these same principles and the same experience I had in 2002 as being mentored by Reggie, get that into hand in the hands of other uh, leaders and, and pastors and, and business leaders as well and help them understand that these, these same principles can be applied across all these different markets. So yeah, but uh, 2002 was the beginning of it, but it's been a journey ever since. That's for sure. Oh yeah, no, and I think that is a very valuable point you made there about, uh, you know, you know, learning some of these lessons, but maybe that necessarily wasn't the beginning because, you know, I, I feel the same way about my my time in the Marines. Like when I was in Marine Corps boot camp, and, and they're teaching me about you know the the fourteen leadership traits and eleven leadership principles, you know, those are things that that I I 
use very heavily now when I'm working with folks. But, you know, it's an 18, 19 year old uh, recruit and then private and private first class. Like they didn't really, they didn't really register so much for me. It wasn't until probably about 10 years later when I was in an organization that had really terrible leadership that said, Hey, that's what this stuff was talking about, right? You got it. You got it. That's what I tell folks is my relationship with Reggie was not a, um, didn't fix anything by any means. It didn't fix everything for me. It didn't 2002 change the trajectory of my life at that instant moment. I had still, like you, I had a lot of things that I, I continued to learn over time as I processed sort of this business career and up understanding what it means to move up and kind of management positions and all those sort of ins and outs. But I had a I had a base level of um, grounding that I learned from Reggie that I just was able to really carry through all those different places. And I also had a person who I knew cared deeply about me, who I could reach out to when I had questions about anything around leadership or management or anything, who would just really, who was a trusted source, who I knew only wanted the best for me, which is really, really important. Yeah. Well, and man, that is so critical too, right there. Like, you know, you talk about, about parents and specifically fathers, you know, I, 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 I feel like I had the best of both worlds. Right. So my, my biological dad was, I'm not going to say he was a good guy or a bad guy. He just, he wasn't there. So I've got no real basis to judge him, but thankfully I had two great grandfathers, uh, mm-hmm. that were, were awesome. My, my grandfather, on my mom's side, he essentially filled that father figure role for me. And then my grandfather on my dad's side, you know, we, I'd go spend summers with him. So he was kind of like my dad in that way, but it was, it was those things, what you're talking about there, right? Those strong messages and, and really kind of setting those examples and teaching somebody like me uh, how to, you know, how to be a, a man, how to be a father, how to be a caregiver, how to be a, a caretaker when needs be. And that's something that, yeah. that is kind of a dying art right now in society, it, right? You got it. It is. And, and I think here's what I, I spend a lot of time with groups of men. And I always tell them this. I say, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't share these messages so that you can, you know, be beat up your earthly dad or, or, you know, whatever. But I think understanding that our dads all did the best they could with the amount of information that they knew at the time when they were raising us up, that there was, in most cases, there was not an intentional um, decision at some point where they were like, I'm just going to be a bad dad. Oftentimes it was just like they, their life circumstances and the situation they were in was just the, the place they had to parent out of. And so, um, but I think you're right. I think what happens is having somebody who can also fill that gap, who creates that safe place, it sounds like for you, but for me, it was so critically important because in the absence of that, I would have positioned myself with, um, and I did, I was really good at it, by the way, of positioning myself like I had it all together. But on the inside, I was oftentimes crumbling. I didn't have anybody to talk to. And I was trying to sort of figure out how to navigate some really painful life circumstances on my own. And, and having men who I could lean into and ask those hard questions was was probably the thing that kept me um, 
kept me moving because they were able to say, hey, I, I think I know I see what you're doing. Let me give you some input into some ways I would have handled that differently. And it was just a total game changer for me to have those kind of relationships, which sounds like same same would be for you. Oh, absolutely. Like if it hadn't been for having the great uh, um, the great figures I had in, in those two men and, and my grandmother's to a, a great extent as well, because, you know, my mom had her issues as well. Uh, I don't know where I'd be. You know, we talk about being a statistic. I, I just, I don't know where I would have been. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and, and what I like about this conversation is this nice segue because you talk about uh, these four keys to building authentic communities among men. What, what are those keys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the main, the main things, and I, I sometimes get you four, sometimes I get you six, sometimes I get you two. I can I always sort of, I'll get you close to four. How about that? Hey, there you go, um, in the ballpark, I, right? I think that, yeah, I think the main thing, um, one of the big things is humility, especially from the per- perspective of the leader. You know, being led by somebody who, and I think I talked a little about this earlier, who is willing just to sort of say, hey, here's the good, the bad, the ugly of um, of my life. Here's the experiences where I've gotten sideways from a faith perspective. Here's where God has showed up in my life and helped me. And by the way, here is where I continue to have issues. And again, from a faith perspective where God continues to show up, those things are really important if you want to be mentored by somebody. Those are the, those are the, the, that humility is really, really critical. If I'm meeting, if I'm being led by a guy who is going to act like he's got everything together, I'm probably not going to be, I'm not going to learn as much. That's one thing. I think um, creating an environment of authenticity is really important. I think creating a a place where uh, people can be known and fully known is really important. You know, if, if I'm known 99% 99% I'm not fully known. And, and what I've seen in some of these groups that we get to facilitate is creating these safe places where uh, you can share your story is so important. And what happens when men begin to share their story specifically is they begin to realize that the issues and the challenges that they were facing that they thought were unique to them, they begin to look around in this kind of small group environment and realize that, gosh, I didn't think Earl would be dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. But now I know that Earl and I can now bond over a similar place of pain, I think is is really, really important in these kind of environments. And so creating environments where humility from the leader matters, authenticity and intentionality inside the group matters. Um, I think creating that safe space is is really, really important. And oftentimes that involves just being able to facilitate those meetings in areas and in places that feel more comfortable. You know, I think the this this the the sense of you know, and again, I, I default to men, but we're, our ministry serves men and women, and we also have a place that helps marketplace leaders facilitate similar conversations. But I just have a real heart for men, primarily because I am one. Um, right. But really, that be able to create that that safe space where you as the leader are really just facilitating the conversation and creating the connections between the members of the group versus telling everybody all the things you know about this particular topic. And nobody wants to be told all that stuff. They really just want to be able to be in places where 
they're safely known, they're being led by somebody with humility and they're facilitating conversations versus telling them. Those are, those are all things I think that are really, really important. Yeah, no, and, and I, I love a lot of what you said there because, well, I love everything you said there, but what I love uh, the most there is is that that piece of, of being able to have that kind of psychologically safe environment where you can share those stories and watching those light bulbs go on because, you know, more often than not, we look at folks around us. Okay, so growing up in Northeast Tennessee, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who want to make it big in Nashville, and some of them are still chasing right. that dream. And, and they've got a saying that I think fits in perfect here. It says, behind every overnight success, there's 30 years of struggle and playing honky-tonks and juke joints and all that good stuff, right? You got it. Yeah. And everybody we look at that we think is is like perfect, right? I'm using air quotes when I say perfect. They've got the, the nice house, the nice car, the wife, the kids, the dog, the picket fence, all that good stuff. We We don't see and think about what they're going through. But by creating this right. environment you're talking about, we get to share those stories, right? You got it. I think that's you're, you're spot on. I think, you know, especially in today's age, we, ha- we live in an environment where, you know, every, we, it's real easy to put off, put off the air that everything's we've got it all together. And I think what that is, the unintended consequence of that, I think, to some degree is really just came out in the survey um, that I just got. I was reading, haven't fully digested, came out yesterday, and the headline is American men suffer a friendship recession. And the net net of the article is basically that um, men particularly don't have as many friends. So the percentage of men that that have at least six close friends, or what I would say, you know, who are going to be your pallbearers at your funeral, right? Men who have at least six close friends has fallen by half since 1990, from 55% to 27%. Mm-hmm. The men and men without any close friends has jumped from 3% to 15%. So you see this idea that there's just a generation of men who have grown up with cell phones in their pockets, who have are so socially connected yet emotionally unknown. unknown um, it's just created this this trail of um, wake behind us where you've got now men who are kind of looking around going, I don't have anybody who I'm sharing life with because I don't want to tell Earl what I'm struggling with because why would he care? He's got all of his stuff together. I, I can remember sort of in my own business career, I made the um, I, I was running a sales organization and was was sort of uh, helping kind of navigate inside and outside salespeople. And I can remember the day where I started to sign the, the commission paperwork of the outside sales guys. And I started to think, gosh, those guys are getting five or six times more what I'm getting paid. They're not that special. I'm going to go be an outside sales guy. And what happened for me as a man was I began to travel every week. I began to rent cars in different cities and stay in courtyard by Marriott's. And, you know, if you've been on that rat race, you all of a sudden you realize that, holy cow, I, I don't really even necessarily know what city I'm waking up in because every one of these Marriott's looks the same. And the further I got away from friendship and relationship, the harder it became for me to step back into those friendships because I just thought, man, I'm, my friends don't care anything about me. They don't want to hear that I'm having a hard time on the road. They, they may not even want to answer the phone if I call. 
And so I just pushed myself further and further out of that community and it ended up leading me to a real um, scary path of depression and a lot of other things that um, really, really set me on a, on a, on a different, different kind of journey than I would have, uh, I would have signed up for, but it did get me to a place now where I feel like I have a, I have a voice and I can sort of speak into some of those areas, but it was this whole dynamic of, of the friendless American male is a real thing. And it's starting to play itself out in society in a major way. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you a hundred percent there on that one. That's where, you know, I kind of agree with some of the, the, okay, I want to say this exactly right here. When people talk <laughs> about toxic masculinity, this is where I mm-hmm. agree, right? Because a lot of times they're talking about that, you know, that kind of, alpha male, always on, got to be perfect, can't show any chinks in my armor, can't just, you know, I've got to be AJ squared away all the time. Um, And, you know, oh, by the way, I can't even treat women with dignity and respect because that'll be a sign of weakness for me. And that's not what it means to be a man, right? The things you're talking about, that's what men have done since we formed tribes. This this idea we're talking about here, as you said, with the, the statistics there, it's a relatively new phenomenon about how we quote define being a man, right? No doubt. And I'll share this. Uh, I'll send this article to you. That way you can include it in the notes, but it's really powerful and really revealing. And it speaks to exactly what it is that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. that will, I'll definitely get that in the show notes. Cause you know, I think that's the thing I had a guest on here a few episodes back. We talked about redefining masculinity and, and we come to the agreement that it's really, we're not necessarily redefining it. We're kind of rolling the definition back maybe 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I love it. Well said. Yeah. So uh, we've, we've mentioned the mentor word here a couple of times and, and I don't know what your experiences are here, but I see a lot of folks, you know, maybe somebody that, that they respect uh, mentions, hey, maybe you should find a mentor. I, I worked with a mentor and it really helped me out. And then they maybe go online and they start looking for mentors or maybe they know somebody who knows somebody and they ask them to be a mentor. Um, but it's not really that easy, right? I mean, mentors, th- there needs to be a little bit more into your mentor search than just picking a name out of a hat, right? Yeah, you got it. I think um, that's one of the things that really was um, revealing to to me when I when I connected with Reggie was two things. Number one, and I think this is if if one guy Earl calls you a mentor, then more than likely there are twenty guys that call you a mentor, and it's oftentimes because you've made yourself available. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are a lot of guys who would be great mentors, but the, what they haven't done is open themselves up to those um, to those conversations. And so, by being available, uh, you've you've created this um, this mentor relationship. The downside to to that kind of a mentor relationship is you, as the mentor, are wearing yourself out going to see all these different people all the time, and really you're trying to you know, oftentimes put a Band-Aid on a hole in the dam to try to keep something together for somebody versus what what Reggie really ended up doing, because he was one of those kind of guys, is he basically said, all right, I'm going to look at this group of 15 to 20 guys that I'm seeing all the time, and I'm going to invite them to step into a, a more official mentoring relationship with me. I'm going to invite them to apply to be a part of this group 
so that uh, I can really invest real fully into these guys' lives. And so for him, it was very much an intentional move to go from one-on-one mentoring to a, a small group environment. Uh, so that was a really critical piece of the story. I think the other thing that was really, that I think really matters in these moments is the downside to some of those one-on-one mentoring uh, is there's not a process to it. And so, you, you know, you meet for a period of time together, but oftentimes there's not, there's not an agenda. You're, you're kind of trying to you know, sit down across the table, especially for men. We're, we're not always the greatest communicators. And there's always those awkward moments of like, all right, so now what in the world are we going to do? And so kind of what we've tried to do is create a little bit of a methodology that helps facilitate these conversations. But as I think of mentors, it's really just about somebody who is a season of life or two ahead of where you are today who's humble enough to want to share those experiences with you in an effort to help you avoid some of the same mistakes that you, that they made. They want others behind them to avoid. That's really what Reggie was to me as a mentor in the same group of guys that, that uh, we all sat together was, it was not about how much he knew or how perfect he was. It was just his ability to kind of look back and go, Wait, wait a minute, Kevin. I, I, I see where you're heading. I see what you're thinking, but I've been there before and I sort of see that there's a pothole in the road that you're about to fall into. Let me help you sort of think differently about how you might want to navigate that situation. And so there was a, it was formally informal, if you will, formal and that we had a process informal that what mattered more than anything was where we were as mentees, where, where we were in life. Um, was what really what Reggie wanted to make sure he was speaking into. And, and a lot of these mentors that we work with, we work with uh, several thousand of them across the country. We've seen about 15,000 men come through the mentoring process we talk about. And our job is really just to help equip those mentors with that process so that when those um, opportunities come up, they're able to really help these guys who are seasoned behind them understand how to navigate that. No, I, I like that. That's uh you know, in the corporate world, they call that succession planning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's right. And, and I think that's it, right? It's like if you're looking to to really kind of pass these things on. And again, I go back to this is what we did as as a species since we started creating tribes. We passed down these traditions, customs, it. gathering around the campfire and talking and 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 uh, fellowshipping with one another and. And so this is really how you can pass that that wisdom and experience on to to next generations, right? You got it. That's exactly right. It's just it's telling the tribal tale is um, one one business leader whose name uh, totally escaped escapes me, but that was sort of the premise of the idea that you know there's a there's a tribal tale around every organization. There's a tribal tale about every person's life that is incredibly valuable and and hearing those stories oftentimes are the things that helps sort of recreate and change the narrative of what life may look like or business may look like moving forward in a particular industry is that you're just willing to kind of open yourself up to um to whatever whatever those different areas of life might be yeah well and and i think the other thing here and correct me if i'm wrong maybe you've had different experiences but uh 
you know, this isn't something that just magically happens when you're, you know, you, you mentioned being in your early to mid forties. I'm in the same age range there. This isn't something that just magically happens. Like we have these opportunities throughout our life. And one of the things that really kind of, I love reading the stories, but I'm always sitting here. Why aren't more kids doing this? It's like when you hear, mm-hmm. like there was the, the, the story man, about four or five years ago of the captain of the football team out in some small town in Utah, like standing up for another kid in his class with autism. You know, you got it. Yeah. I, I love that we celebrate that, but that shouldn't be the anomaly that it is if we're, if we're, we're treating each other the way we should be. Right. You got it right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That if, you know, I think living life in a way that on that you're, you know, you're really clear on honoring those around you. I think is really important. And I think living, living life that way, knowing that we're all uniquely designed, we're all uniquely made, we're all designed in the image of our, of our creator, I think allows us to see those opportunities. And unfortunately they're just, what I'd love to know about that particular story would be who in that, in that young man's life modeled for him why it's important to lean in and care for somebody else who's less privileged. Maybe the kid thought about that on his own, but my guess is a coach, a parent, a mentor, a leader somewhere along the way created an experience where that young man understood how important it was to stand up for somebody who was viewed as less than in the world than than everybody else somebody poured that experience life experience into that young man's life he caught it and he recognized he had an opportunity to make a change and so he stepped into that relationship and said hey time out it's not you know the buck stops here we're not going to be the kind of school we're not going to be the kind of men that 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 toxic masculinity that he talked about that are just going to pick on somebody lesser than us. We're going to, we're going to change that. And so I, 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 what I love about those stories is I know in the background, there's, there's another, there's another part of it that, that we don't get the, get to hear about. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and what I love about it is, is, you know, I, and I don't know if this young man realized it at the time, I'm sure he does now, but it, kind of what we're talking about here by, by doing that, he showed somebody else that was watching him you that it was it. okay to do that. You got it. I love it. I love it. And well, so, so yeah, leadership is is caught, not taught, right? Yep. And I think that's that's a great example of, you know, he caught it from somebody and he's modeling it. You know, he didn't he didn't pull everybody aside and say, "All right, guys, let me teach you a quick leadership principle, and I'm going to go out here and do this." Right. He did it. And then we won't know the, you know, the, the ripple effect from that single experience. We'll never know what that is, but he, he taught, he, other people caught him leading well, and that will be the thing that will change the trajectory of a lot of lives. And I think that's really important. I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent. So now we talked about this in the beginning uh, a little bit, and I, I promise we, we'd kind of circle back to it here, but uh, you know, again, being very faith-based, um, Christianity faith-based, uh, you talk about the the 12 elements of Jesus-style mm-hmm. uh, relational discipleship. I like the way you word that there, because 
you know, I think that's the one thing that missing that is missing in a lot of leadership talks is is followership and and creating and playing both of those roles when needs be. So let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about. You don't have to get into all of them, but uh, yeah, if you want, no, that's fine. Let's talk about these elements. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think you're exactly right. I think. Um, you know, if, if you watched Jesus, very rarely was he sitting people down and teaching them, right? He was, he was modeling for them a certain way that he lived, hoping that the others around him would, would catch it, right? So he, he definitely did that. He led in a group. So that's one of the things that we ascribe to in our mentoring ministry is this kind of small group ministry model that because what happens in those environments is a good mentor will realize that his ability to facilitate conversations amongst the others in the group is just as powerful as him standing in front of the group and teaching them everything he knows. And so we saw Jesus do that with his men. Jesus handpicked his guys, um, you know, was not without uh, obviously deep prayer and consideration um, but not only did he handpick his guys, he also handpicked a lot of the guys that other people were would ignore. You know, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the the sort of the riffraff of society. Jesus also saw in them something very different and unique, and he brought them along, uh, which I think is really powerful. He had a really specific um, time frame. You know, we he he we don't know why he was he mentored and and trained his disciples for three years. And then at that moment, he decided that that was, uh, that was enough. And then he modeled for them what it looks like to go and lead other groups. So we really believe that this idea of mentoring is a, in in our model is nine months to 12 months. At some point, you know, the mentors repeat themselves and can only share the same story so many different times, but challenging the mentees that they will go out and pay this forward to somebody else at some point in time is really important. So the idea of passing it along, um, Jesus was very much about the truth. You know, he, he taught out of a, um, out of a position of authority. He, he knew, he knew it, obviously at that time it was the, the old Testament, but he, he oftentimes referenced cultural things that would have made a lot of sense to the men that followed him. I think that's really, um, really important. And he taught them along the way. You know, I, I think mentoring is really like a lab. You know, what 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 Jesus kind of did is he said, here's a model for things, go out and try it. And then the guys would, then his disciples would come back in and they would kind of debrief on what happened. And, and so it was very much a kind of a, kind of a lab experiment oftentimes versus a, versus a classroom setting. And I think those are a lot of things that, that Jesus did that I think are really powerful, um, models for mentoring. We have a book, by the way, for those that are interested called Mentor Like Jesus that was written by our founder, Reggie Campbell. And then um, I've added some context to it as well that really sort of helps outline that um, that model. You know, Jesus, again, he taught along the way. You know, it was these guys were with him. They were doing life with him. He was unpacking experiences with him. Um, and, and really great mentors do the same thing. They're they're, they're constantly taking their life experiences and making them practical so that people coming behind can sort of digest those, those life experiences. And so that, those are some of the things that Jesus did that I just think are really powerful models for, 
for mentoring, either in kind of the church context or, you know, even to some degree in the marketplace. You know, we've that there are companies that ascribe to Christian values um, that are trying to create leaders and, and model leadership. And this is Jesus provided a great model for that as well. Yeah, no, again, I love everything you're saying there. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's super powerful because when you go back and look like the, you know, the whole uh, story of, of washing of the feet, right? We talk about how can this translate into corporate world? Well, think about that for a second. If you are, a Christian and you've read that story, you know what impact it has on you and, and uh, the teachings that, that fall behind it. But, you know, even if you're not, imagine if your CEO, let's say there's a shipment that comes in and you're unloading a truck and you turn around and your CEOs, they're helping you unload the truck. What kind yeah. of messages does that send to you about how important even the, the smallest task can be? And that's, that's kind you of what it. happened there, right? Yeah, and that's the burden. Uh, to go back to the beginning, that's the burden of command, right? Yep. The the idea that you know some leaders are going to kind of see the see the un, the unpacking of the truck as a chance to point fingers and designate people to go do those certain things. For other leaders, the burden of command is I'm going to go down here. I'm not going to I'm not going to write a press release and tell everybody that you know. Congratulations, CEO Kevin Harris today decided to unpack the truck. No, I'm just going to walk down there, roll my sleeves up, unpack the truck and model for those around me that this is sort of what servant leadership looks like. It's it's getting things done by loving and serving the people that that you're being that you're stewarding in your company and in your organization. And I think that's um, there is no to me, there's no better leadership style than that idea of servant leadership and, and getting things done that way. I, I agree a hundred percent. We're okay. agreeing a lot today, Earl. This is good. I know. I love it. It's almost like it was designed this way, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Look, I, and on to that note, I mean, I got to give a great shout out to uh, my friends, Tom and Karen Schwab over at Interview Valet, who mm-hmm. work with, to, you know, the, to give me great guests like, like Kevin and, uh, you know, talk about people who are kind of modeling the way for folks uh, doing podcasting and, and wanting to get on podcasts. They're, they're no outstanding. Doubt about it. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. I've loved working with them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, and, and me too on this end. And, and what I love about it on this end is they, they help me prepare immensely. You know, I'm able to go out and listen to other things and do that. But, you know, they send me a lot of great notes and interview topics and things like that. And I got to tell you, there was one that really struck me uh, looking at, at your one sheet that they send. And I got to hear this story, and I'm, I'm sure my listeners are going to love it too. The, the bullet point says, how writing his obituary changed the way Kevin lived. So yeah. t- tell us that story. Like, Why did you decide to do that exercise in the first place, and, and how did it change your life? So, yeah, so um, then this goes back to my mentoring experience in 2002 where, um, you know, I, I literally, so long story short, I didn't know Reggie Campbell. I had a friend of mine who's who knew Reggie and he was going to try to be a part of this mentoring group. And he asked me if I wanted to be involved in it. And I said, sure, thinking this, you know, you just kind of say yes and you get included in something. Well, I get an email from an email address that I didn't know. And the email said, basically, write your obituary and send it back. Little did I know that that was the, that was the application process that, um, 
that that he had in place to make sure that he was sort of thinking about the kind of men that he wanted to have in his mentoring environment. And so writing an obituary is really writing a, a, a kind of a vision statement for your life. It, it, as Stephen Covey would say, it's beginning with the end in mind, right? It's, yeah. it's looking at the end and going, if I want my kids to say this, or my spouse to say this, or my friends to say this, or the people that work for me to say this, what's the narrative that that has to be in place at the end of my life for those kind of things to be said and so you know i began to unpack things that either i assume either and reggie never told me this either one of two things happened either he thought holy cow this guy is a complete train wreck and if i don't get a hold of him early on what he thinks is going to happen will never happen and i've got a I got to kind of, I got to kind of shake him up, shake him up a little bit, or, or the other side would have been maybe there's something there that was was worth, uh, worth, worth what it, what I put on paper, and and he wanted to kind of intersect and help me achieve some of those things. Those things. I always like to think it's the second answer. It could have very easily been the first, but you know, I think it just was a really powerful experiment that gave me the chance to really as a married two years, no kids early on in the career, be able to start to think about, holy cow, what in the world do I want the end of my life to look like? Um, It was really shaping and it was really a a pivotal experience where I had to really think about some really hard questions. And so that, that was my, that was the way I was asked to apply to be a part of um, to be a part of the mentoring group. That's where the whole idea of Jesus handpicking his his mentees and that, or in Jesus' case, his disciples. You know, that was how that was the the litmus test by which Reggie kind of chose what his group was going to look like. Was asking these guys to write their obituaries. Mm. No, I love that. I, I I put my folks through a similar exercise. I don't go with the obituary. I talk about their their retirement party. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I tell you what got me there, and I've shared this story on here a couple of times, but this is before I even knew who a Stephen Covey was. Well, yeah, I was probably maybe 11, 12 years old. Uh, my grandfather I mentioned before, uh, I'm from Northeast Tennessee. We called him Papa, so my Papa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were somewhere. I don't even remember where it is now, but I remember there was a statue. And and uh, I asked him, I said, you know, Papa, why, why did they build a statue to this guy? And And he looks at me. And his response was, you know what, son, when I die, I'd rather have people asking why they didn't build a statue in my honor than asking why they did. Yeah. And again, it was one of those lessons that really didn't sink in until way later. And I thought, man, that was such a powerful moment because it's true. It's kind of what we're talking about here is is a lot of people don't begin with that end in mind. And, and don't plan those steps to be somebody that, that people can never forget, whether it's a statue or, or whatever it is. But how do you want to be that person that leaves that legacy and that lasting impact? And I think that's the point of the question, right? Yeah, you got it. That's exactly right. And Reggie's funeral was in uh, February, uh, late January, early February of 2020. And you know, his funeral was lined up with husbands and wives of he had mentored 150 people by the time he passed away in Atlanta that kind of there were sort of his guys and that funeral was full of these husbands and wives or husbands and wives and kids of the people that he mentored 
and 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 even in the in the moments of that funeral um in fact one of the things reggie asked for he wanted uh he wanted Krispy Kreme donuts at his. He wanted a Krispy Kreme donut tower at his funeral, which he which he got. Yeah. Um, but they they're just this. You saw this legacy both in his own family, and in the lives of all these guys that sat around his table that had a similar shared experience, whose wives had seen life life change happen, whose kids are being parented better because of not because Reggie was an expert, but because Reggie just created space for these real conversations to happen. It was just so remarkable to sit in that room and, you know, or go to the reception afterwards and everybody in there knew there was going to be a Krispy Kreme donut tower before he walked in the room. Cause Reggie taught kind of just, it was the stuff he talked about. It was like, Hey, I'm, I'm planning really well on, you know, what it's going to look like at the end of my life. And this is one of the things I want. So we were able to all just sit there and laugh and, reminisce about um about the crispy cream over crispy cream donuts about the experiences that we had uh we had together yeah no i love it and and that's the statue we should strive for right you got it yeah no i love it i love it well bud we've been talking here for about 45 minutes or so and this has just been an absolute blessing and an outstanding conversation um is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you'd like to leave listeners with before we kind of ramp things up here? Yeah. Let me just let folks know how to find me and how to find radical mentoring. Um, as I mentioned early on, you know, our, our, our ministry exists to try to put these principles in the hands of leaders who um, just have a, a desire to want to create that kind of an environment where they can share their stories in an effort to help change the trajectory of somebody's life a season or two behind them and whether that's whether or not you're five minutes ahead of somebody else or five years or 50 years ahead of somebody else you you have experience that somebody else is dying to have access to and so if you want to learn more about radical mentoring you can find us at radicalmentoring.com you can create an account on that website all of our resources are available uh, for free we're a, we are a uh, donor-funded nonprofit, and so men and, and businesses and churches who've been touched by our ministry give back so that we can continue to make these resources available um, to folks who just have a heart to do this. So I just encourage you to go to that website, create that account. You'll be a, a assigned a guide that will help you sort of understand how to navigate those resources. But certainly I, I'm available for anybody. You can reach me at... Uh, Kevin at RadicalMentoring.com uh, is my email address, or certainly just pick up the phone and call me. My number is 770-710-7596. And I just love connecting with leaders whose, uh, whose heartbeat aligns with mine, and, and they just want to see people a little bit behind them, um, be able to navigate some of life's challenges uh, in areas where they they had to learn some hard lessons along the way. So I would leave, I would leave our listeners with that. No, I love that. And I'll definitely get that in the uh, show notes there and make sure people can just get to it with a click. So thanks for leaving those resources. And let me just be the first to say, thank you for leaving your phone number. That's not something that a lot of people are, are willing to do because, well, you know, it seems like everybody's got your phone number anyways, especially if they're trying to get you to buy a new, uh, car warranty right but yeah uh, <laughs> well, my car warranty is about to expire so look if, if you sell car warranties don't call me 
I get plenty of those calls. But if you want to talk about leadership and mentoring, uh, uh, a guy that has mentored me from afar is an author by the name of Bob Goff. And I got to spend a little bit of time with him. And that's one of the things he is. He ascribes to this ministry of availability. And he's written a lot of books. And in each one of these books, he gives out his cell phone number. And I've been in environments where he has literally picked up the phone because he got a phone call from somebody that uh, had a question for him. And he, uh, I've watched him navigate that beautifully. And uh, I just really desire to be that kind of a leader that makes, makes myself available for those that, um, those that need me. And um, I want to make sure I'm there for, for your listeners as well. I love it. Well, thank you very much for that again. And, uh, you know, I just, again, I want to say, I appreciate, you know, the time we spent together here. It's been a great conversation. Uh, I have no doubt that, that we've changed some people's minds, attitudes, and, and hopefully, uh, they're going to check out those resources and take you up on, on those offers of, of reaching out, uh, because that is extremely valuable right there. So thank you for your time and I really appreciate it. My friend, it's been an honor. If I can uh, help you in any way, please don't hesitate to let me know. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely uh, figure something out. I'm, I'm sure about that. Uh, listeners, again, thank you. Thank you for being with us for this past 50 minutes or so. I really do hope that you took some value out of this. Be sure that uh, you're sharing, rating, subscribing, reviewing uh, the show so great guests like Kevin can uh, share his message and reach more people and make a bigger impact worldwide. That's the big role you can play here as, as a listener. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, make sure you go ahead and send those to burden.command at gmail.com. Burden.command at gmail.com. I don't care what it is. If it's a story idea, if it's a guest idea, if you just want to chat, if I've said something that you disagree with, hit me up. We'll just discuss it. Uh, but with that, thank you all very much for your time. Appreciate you being with us. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric Acid.